Thank you for tuning in for the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, with a private practice where I specialize in maternal mental health as well as women. With the podcast, we'll be talking all things womanhood, motherhood, and a few things sprinkled in in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I am joined by the fabulous Katrina Pointer, whom I have known since 2008. Some sometime around that, but Katrina is a fellow therapist and she specializes in couples therapy. Um, but she does a wealth of tons of different things, working with women of color, doing wellness events, working with other clinicians to help improve their expertise or them navigating the whole mental health realm. And she's also been a huge asset for me as I've grown my business and I am so grateful for Katrina and all of her wisdom. But aside from all of the wonderful things that she does, she's also a mother. And so that's why I invited her on the show because it's funny how you can know people, but there's points and avenues in their lives that you haven't necessarily like talked about. Um, so before we hop into that, Katrina, welcome. Hello. <laughs> um, and I did my own introduction, but you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, um, as Keisha said, my name is Katrina Pointer. I am a LPC in Georgia, and I also do licensure supervision and private practice consultation and other things to help therapists grow as therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, I specialize in couples and I particularly work around communication issues and um, issues around intimacy. I also specialize in black women with anxiety. So I do a lot of mindfulness stuff, um, a lot of introducing us to yoga and meditation and how to just better manage our anxiety and the strong black woman syndrome and all those types of things. Mm, wonderful. Okay. And you have a daughter, Amani. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who is how old is she now? Amani six. About to be seven oh, in June. Oh gosh. She's almost seven. And you are mm-hmm. originally from the West Coast. Yep, I'm from California, the Bay Area. But now you're on the East Coast. <laughs> you're I'm here, here now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> okay, so um During your childhood, growing up in California, in the Bay Area, um, I know that your mom is here now, but just growing up, who were maternal figures for you in your life growing up as a young black girl? Let's see. So, of course, my mom um, and my mom's mom, my grandmother. um, And then who else would I say? Um, I would say my dad's mom as well. She, my dad's from Alabama, so um, we went to Alabama every summer. So mm-hmm. I did have a good relationship with my paternal grandmother. Um, and then outside of that, I would mainly say uh, cousins. And um, my mom has a best friend. That was my godmother. So for the most part, um, I grew up a lot of around a lot of strong black women that 
Um, my family is very much, you know, the woman is supposed to be the woman type of people. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what I grew around as far as just how you're supposed to be as a mother and taking care of your kids and cooking and cleaning and, you know, doing it on your own if you have to type of thing. Gotcha. Okay. What were some things about your mother um, that you remembered growing up that were things that you wanted to take on yourself as a mother? Hmm. My mom always gave us choices. She wasn't one of those moms, and it's probably because my grandmother um, was one of those old school parents, you know, like you're going to sit at the table until you finish all your food. (laughs) And, you know, what I have is what I have type of thing. So my mom didn't want to be that way. So I, I definitely grew up with a lot of choices where it was like, you know, I had a choice in whether it was something I wanted to eat or, um, even coming up with my own style or my hair or whatever. I just had choices in, um, being my own person. Mm. So I think that's definitely something I took, um, because I don't want to have to shape my daughter. I want her to, you know, figure it out on her own. Um, and then another thing, uh, my mom, she always kind of, she's not one of those parents. I'm trying to think how to describe her (laughs) because my mom's my best friend, right? Um, like literally my best friend. Um, and so she just not one of, never has been one of those parents where I felt like I had to hide anything. Oh, cool. So it's so awkward to me when I have friends or, or even clients who talk about their mom and it's like, oh, my mom doesn't know I drink. Or, oh, you know, me and my boyfriend can't sleep in the same room type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom is just so not like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also something I would take from her. That's awesome. Okay. And since you became a mother... Did you ever see yourself as becoming a mom? Was that something that you, did you always want to have children or what were your thoughts growing up? Because you know how like some girls can play with baby dolls or even like when they become in their early 20s, they think about family planning and then some women don't at all. And it's like not in their vision and some always may know like I don't want to become a mom and then it'll just like happen. How was it for you? Yeah, I um, I always thought I was gonna be the favorite auntie. Like I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna travel the world, honey, and um, yeah, I was gonna, you know, pick up my nieces and nephews and my little cousins and take them back. So yeah, no, I definitely, I've never been the you know white picket fence and the two point five kids type of girl. Mm. Um, I always saw myself like traveling the world and you know. Uh, working here or working there and just being free. I kind of always saw motherhood as being tied down. Mm. Um, And so it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a hell no, but it just wasn't necessarily a month either. Gotcha. So when you found out you were pregnant, how did you process that? Surprisingly, I was okay. Um, I think the biggest part was when I found out I was having a girl. Like, I just knew I was having a boy. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You could not tell me I was not having no boy and I was going to be a boy mom. But when they said it's a girl, I just felt like I knew I was going to get it. I knew. (laughs) Get get what? (laughs) I knew. 
she know I got a farm ass. <laughs> <So> I, <didn't laughs> I was going to get it in that department. And, you know, I, I don't know why I just saw, like, you know, my child's not about to be 16 in the house fighting with me, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but just actually being pregnant and saying, okay, I'm going to be a mom, I wasn't, it wasn't that uh, shocking as far as that part goes. Okay. Gotcha. So, something we didn't talk about, how was your pregnancy? My pregnancy was great, actually. Besides sickness, I was sick a lot um, outside of the first trimester. So, maybe like, I would say by the third trimester, I was okay sickness-wise, but then it was, okay, I want my body back and it's Mm -hmm. be over by that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So, it really wasn't a struggle, per se, as far as being pregnant. Um, but it was uncomfortable, and that's what I didn't like. Okay. And then the day that you went into labor, how was that whole experience for you? So um, one thing I remember my doctor telling me is that if once you started having contractions to take a hot bath, and that would bring the contractions on more, and try, she just kept saying, stay at home as possible. As possible mm. as long as you possibly can mm-hmm. um and i think i kind of took that too far <laughs> because by the time i got to the hospital i was nine and a half centimeters wow. and I was just to five minutes, right so, so what is your pain tolerance hmm? what is your pain tolerance oh i think i have a high t- pain tolerance when it comes to um the contractions and stuff because i've always had very bad cramps oh. so i think for that part it really it wasn't that bad Wow. Um, until um, my water never broke. So until I, because I went to the hospital because I had contractions. They said I wasn't dilated enough, so they sent me home. So they said, if your water breaks or you start bleeding, that's when you come back. So at the point that I started bleeding, that's when it was really intense. But oh. by then, it was like I almost had her in the car. Right? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, because it was just, I was already there. But I kind of labored for the whole night by myself, just up. Everybody else went to sleep on me, and I just was up with the, you know, contractions coming, and I didn't think about it, like, okay, let's go. I wasn't timing my contractions or anything, and just, once I started bleeding, I said, oh, okay, let's go. Wow. So, <laughs> so I pretty much did all of that on my own, and like I said, when I got to the hospital, I almost had her in the car, I pushed her out in literally five minutes, um, no medicine, not even Tylenol. Oh my nothing. gosh! That is yeah. amazing! <laughs> <laughs> Wow, no Tylenol, as if Tylenol would even do anything. <laughs> I know, I really wouldn't even do anything. They were, like, they were like, no ma'am, we can't have nothing. Like, she's right here, we might as well get over with. <laughs> okay, so then she came, everybody's healthy, she's good, you're good. It was quick, fast. Um, for me, after I had Ezra, it was like I knew I was pregnant all this time and I was having a baby, but I had this disconnect of... So who's going to come pick up this child? Like, like I'm babysitting. Mm-hmm. Who's going to come get this kid? I mean, I know he's mine, but that was like, my brain wasn't catching up or something like that. So after Amani was here, what was that like for you? Was it like, oh my gosh, angels have opened up and this is bliss? Or did it take you a minute? It definitely took me a minute. Like, I'm so thankful that my mom was here um, and her dad was there too, but I just... It, I don't know. It was just a baby to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I understood that I had to feed it. I breastfed for like two years. So 
I understood that I had to feed it and, you know, I learned her cries and all that stuff that mothers do, but it was just a baby. Mm, um, so I don't, I don't think there was that instant, you know, bond or connection for me. Um, of course, of course I loved her because I think if I didn't, I wouldn't have, you know, taken the care I did. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't no googly eye this is my baby type of thing either. Right. So what was postpartum like for you? After you guys had then got home, what was the months that followed of you adjusting to motherhood? What was that experience like? Um, it was depressing. I think that um, for me, part of what I was saying earlier about feeling like, you know, having a kid was being tied down. Mm-hmm. I think that's really that started to kick in for me like I felt you know tied down um and then of course uh what was that 2014 so I'm watching all my friends on Instagram and you know on Facebook going out nobody called me (laughs) to invite me type of thing um and you know friends that I thought was going to be like the the help or the auntie um we're no longer friends because Mm. of that um so it just was very much a a transition for me and I think that contributed to my depression so for my postpartum it wasn't about the baby it was about like my whole life is changed now my whole life is different um and I didn't feel supported in that Mm. and you said that your mom was here she like moved here right yeah my mom moved um maybe a month before I delivered. Yeah, like a month before I had Amani, and then um, she's been here ever since, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So you had her as support for the physical stuff, but you were more so disappointed on friends not showing up and you just missing out on this youthful, in your 20s life that you had had before. Yeah, and see, the thing for me, I wasn't in my 20s, I was 32. You were 32? <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I thought you were like late twenties. No, I'm wow. thirty-two. Wow! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So for for me, that was even the the whole part about my life because my life was established at that point. Yeah. You know, I had a whole career. Um, I had you know a nice place to stay that was just me. Yeah. Um, so my life was established. Right. So for me, I think the whole change of um the atmosphere in my life due to having a kid is kind of why it hit me even harder because it wasn't like I was, you know, in my twenties out partying or something, just graduating college. Like I was an adult who thought our like this is what my life was gonna be. Right. Type of thing. And then here comes a baby. So I think for me it was just more, you know, what I felt I had already established in my life. Like not only um my life but my friendships and my relationships and all those different things that um, kind of took a turn. So how did you work through it? That's a good question because I really don't, I don't remember, I don't think I went to therapy um, until later. But during that time, I don't know why that wasn't a thought in my mind. Um, probably because I was so focused on uh, just going. Um, and I think that's kind of some of the things that I work with clients on as far as um, wearing these different masks and, you know, you put one on, you're the mom, you take that off, you put on your work mask, you know, you put on, excuse me, your friendship mask, you put on whatever, your wife mask, and 
there's never a time to just be you outside of when you sleep. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's really what it was. I just, I kept doing the things I had to do. Um, Cause not to mention, I had a baby, but I still had bills. Okay. Yeah. I still now had my whole mom here that I was taking care of and you know, those different things. So for me, I just stayed busy and I didn't really um, deal with it. I don't think. Gotcha. So you kind of just move forward how was it as far as like getting having bonding with Amani? When did that start to occur? I always say that um, when Amani was a baby, like that was my mama baby, <laughs> right? Like that that was her child. And it's not to say that she took her over or I gave her to her. It was like my mom was she just liked that you know, that baby stage. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't. I wanted her to go to the bathroom on her own. Go mm -hmm. in the kitchen and get you something to eat. Like, I didn't want to, you know, do all of that. And so I think, although, of course, we bonded, um, I would say the bonding started more once she was able, you know, let's just say one, let's yeah. say, you know, and able to really more say what she wanted, those type of things. Um, but even then, her almost being seven, I would say we're like the closest. Mm -hmm. um, because she's able to do those different things and now she's my little buddy and we go to the movies and we go you know to the mall and we do this and we do that where um that baby stage just wasn't for me right and, and i'm glad of, that you, you said know. that because i feel like a lot of people don't say that like and i, and I think that that's like real i i feel like when i hear people who say that it is people who are more independent or have a more independent lifestyle and can sometimes feel like taking care of the baby can just be like, I'm just doing some tasks. But when mm -hmm. the baby becomes more older and are able to do more things and they're able to have like conversations and find things in common and do things together, then mm -hmm. the bonding can occur through that versus, cause you know, like when you have a baby, it's like they're a doll. They can't talk. Yeah. They can't mm -hmm. like do anything. Um, and for some people, the bonding doesn't start there, but I do feel like sometimes people feel shame and being able to say that, like, I really didn't bond with my baby and because until they became more independent, we could actually do things together. But it is a thing, and people do experience that. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, a shame that people don't feel comfortable saying that or feel like there's something wrong when they don't bond during that, mm -hmm. you know, baby stage. Um, and, like, the point that you made about, you know, people being independent and that kind of thing, I that kind of describes me like I'm very independent and yeah. I, I'm very much um you know fly by the seat of what I want to do type of thing so um having a little baby that can't tell me what she wants it was frustrating for me like I always tell uh used to say like use your words I don't you know all this baby talk and all this whining I can't do that like use your words what do you want <laughs> so I think now it's so funny because she says it to me. Like, she'll say something and I'll be trying to figure out what to say or how to say it. And she'll be like, Mommy, this is your word. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I feel like this is my, my stage. And even now, I'm like, oh, I can't wait till she's like 13 and we can go to the nail shop or, Aww. you know, go on a trip. Like, which even I had plans um, before COVID. <laughs> I felt like she was in a better age to start going on trips with me and all that type of stuff. So yeah. I think um, definitely this is uh, the right age for me. <laughs> gotcha. So 
I often hear mothers talk about how, not some, but some mothers talk about how friendships change after they become mothers and some friendships, they lose them. And, and that's even difficult because they can feel like they're losing their old life and then they're losing people that have been important to them. How are you mm-hmm. able to navigate that or come to terms with some people were there in your life for seasons? Well, I think it's important to remember first that everybody ain't true. Mm-hmm. And everybody's not going to do what you would do or handle it the way you would handle it or be there the way you would be there. And that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, uh, once that I saw that happening, um, I did kind of take it inward in the sense of, um, like, did I do something or what happened here? Or like, you know, and I was trying to think like, okay, well, it's mainly my friends who don't have kids. So maybe that's what it is, um, type of thing. And then also this belief that your life is over when you become a parent. Mm -hmm. So if your friends don't have kids and they automatically, you know, assume that you can't do something, that you don't Mm -hmm. have a babysitter or you're tired or whatever they think about mothers because they're not one. Um, so I think all of that just kind of played a toll. And I think also the expectations of people, and, you know, the expectations that they didn't live up to um, also played a, a role in, in it as well. So I think for me, it was just more, I try to see it as more eye-opening and just kind of like, okay, well, where do I go from here? You know, could I even consider these people friends anymore after this? Mm-hmm. Um, that type of thing. But I really had to get myself back um, during that postpartum depression. Like, I had to figure out who I was now because it was no going back to me before having right. kids. So I had to do a lot of work as like, who am I in that? Who am I now? And what does that look like? Cause it's not what I thought it was going to be. Right. Which, which is hard. And, and that's like super difficult. I know after I had Ellis, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm going to have Ellis in April. I'm going to figure out how to go to Miami in September. I'm going to be frolicking on the beach, living my life. And then COVID happened and I'm like locked in the house with two kids. And it's just this feeling of, will I ever have this freedom? You know what I mean? Like I'm just kind of ball and chain. And I had to figure out like how to still get that feeling in the midst of what is going on. So I don't feel like I've lost myself in the role of motherhood. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that you've always just been a very hard worker, goal-oriented, ambitious person who goes after their dreams. How are you able to not lose yourself in your work or lose yourself into this new baby? How did you still reestablish your freedom and travel and do all the things that you wanted to do? You know what? I think I had to first give myself permission. Hmm. Like, I had to give myself permission to still be a person. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that I, you know, try to work with clients on, too. Like, you're you're still you. Um, and I, I had a speaking engagement the other weekend about mindfulness. And that's something that I was just saying. Like, before you had a kid, before you became a wife, before you became an employee, you were you. Mm-hmm. So, in some sense, like, how are you still being true to that? How are you still you know, fueling yourself as a person and not the mom or, you know, the wife or whatever else. And I think that 
you know, unfortunately, especially us as black women, we're told once you have a kid, the child is your life. The child yeah. is, you know, whatever they need, whatever you got to do for them type of thing. If that means you can't go out because your child crying or whatever yeah. else, like, oh, well, you had a kid. Yeah. Um, and I just had to, like, give myself permission not to subscribe to that because mm-hmm. I'm not, you right. know. And even with, you know, thank God I have my mom here to you know, be my AKA nanny. But, <laughs> but I tell her all the time, like, if you don't want to, if you weren't here, if you decided to go home and, you know, get your own apartment, live your own life, I would get a nanny. Right. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to, you know, live my life in a way that makes me feel like I don't have options. Right. Um, you know what you said to me once that really stuck to me? You had said, we had went out to lunch one time and you were like, I'm not like everybody else. For Mother's Day, I want to do something I want to do. I don't have to be with my child on Mother's Day. And mm-hmm. and I felt like that was so poignant because I feel like people think that society, like, oh, well, Mother's mm-hmm. Day, you need to be with your kids. You need to celebrate your kids and, and the fact that you are a mom. But, you know, like, you know this every day because you're with them every day. Exactly. So on this particular day, you can take a break and do something that you want to do. But I feel like people want to live up to a standard and take their pictures mm-hmm. for social media or whatever. But you can get lost in yourself trying to do all of that. Yeah, exactly. And you also can figure out what that compromise. You know, everything doesn't have to be so black and white. Mm-hmm. Like, we can figure out what the gray area is. If I want to say, okay, so now my Amani's older, she knows what Mother Day is, she's already asking me what it is, saying that she's <laughs> going to make me something. So, oh. of course, if that means I have to be here that morning to make, <laughs> to make her feel like she did something. Okay. <laughs> to make her feel like After she did that. something. <laughs> <laughs> After that. I know, I know. Somebody better come get this shot. I know. Amani, you got till 12 o'clock. about yourself as a woman as you have become a mom like what has Amani taught you or how have you grown through this journey so much (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me see how I would sum that up um hmm I definitely am more uh I'm more grounded in the person that I am hmm um, definitely before I was independent, can tell me nothing, all of that. But now it's different. It's more just, I've just done a lot of work to figure out who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only am I okay with who I am, I'm okay with um, whoever doesn't agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, for me, especially being the mother of a, a little black girl with curly hair, um, that's something that I really have to like, 
get it together and say, okay, no, like I can't have her, you know, seeing me do certain things and then take those things on. So mm-hmm. I think as black women, we do a lot of things around, you know, not having good boundaries, yeah. always saying yes, yeah. um, not, you know, not practicing self-care mm-hmm. and just kind of going above and beyond for everybody and everything. And I just, I didn't want her to see that and take that on. Right. So I think for me, it really has taught me to, like I said, not only be myself, but be okay with being myself and kind of teaching her the same thing. You know, even now I might tell her something and I'll say, you know, well, if you want to do this and your friend doesn't want to do that, that's okay. Let her go do what she wants to do and you do what you want to do. You don't change your mind because she doesn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, just stuff like that. Like make your own decisions and be okay with that decision. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's some of definitely what it's taught me. Um, and I also didn't, I don't think I realized just how important it is to instill in your kids certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think me being a therapist and hearing, you know, my client stories about just the small things that their parent probably didn't even realize was harming them, mm. you know, whether it was their words or, you know, their judgment or whatever else. Um, really has messed them up as adults. And so I try to be just very mindful of that and, you know, say little things to her um, about her hair or how her skin or whatever else um, so that that just starts early because I know, you know, based on clients, I know how it feels um, just from their experiences to um, not have that instilled in you early and then you're lost. Right. Right. So important. Because I, I do think it hit me when I when I got pregnant with Ezra before I knew I was having a boy. I had had this feeling of, oh, my God, what if I'm having a girl and I didn't want to put on her my stuff, um, mm-hmm. the stuff that like I may have gotten from my mom that she put on to me that I then carried and then I'm just going to mm-hmm. transfer. I didn't want to like for better lack of a better word mess somebody up and so I wanted to work on myself as much as possible and fortunately I I had a, a boy but I'm sure if I had a girl I would have figured it out because I just wanted to be very intentional to not to just bring about a well-rounded person and I don't think that any parent is perfect and I don't think we'll always just get it right every single time but I mm-hmm. definitely didn't want to put off my own stuff that I have onto somebody else that's just innocent and it's just a sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think we realize how much of sponges they are, mm-hmm. you know, how much they pay attention. Like she repeats me all the time. I'm like, Oh, you remember that? Or you, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. So, um, I think that's also part of it. Like we just don't realize the energy and the things that we're, um, putting off that our kids are picking up. Right. Until, you know, it comes back out one day or it comes up one day and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I did say that or I, I guess I didn't say that, you know, type of thing. Right. Um, so I think, you know, just being a parent is a hard job. It and is. I don't, you know, that's why and that's why maybe I'm so big on my own self-care and, and being my own person because it's already a hard job. Like I'm not going to, you know, feel lost amongst that as a person, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Last question that I wanted to ask you was something that 
uh, I feel like is a debatable thing. Um, and especially since you work with black women and you um, talk about boundaries and then you also do couples work, sometimes a woman may end up being in a situation where the father is just not present. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't make somebody be a co-parent. They can make mm-hmm. the choice to show up or not. Um, but I can also see how it's very taxing for someone who is a single parent to do it all. And life would be so mm-hmm. much easier if they had somebody to meet them halfway or just to show up in some capacity. Um, but how would you recommend or what advice would you give to a woman who has someone who's a quote-unquote co-parent who doesn't even give like 10 or 5% um, or maybe enables their 5%. Just because like mm-hmm. I've, I've heard just various stories of, um, well, you know, I don't want to put them on child support because mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to get locked up or um, I don't want to move where my support is because they may not be able to to travel to see their child. So I'll just stay away from my support because their support may be in another state and stay closer mm-hmm. to them to give them easier access. Um, or just all of these situations where they're taking on so much more to accommodate this other person who may not be making mm-hmm. as much of an effort. What mm-hmm. advice or insight would you offer? That was a long think, question that I did not prepare you for, but I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's okay. Um, I think that it's important to, um, and it just made me think of a client, so really that's, that's what I'm thinking about. But um, I think it's so important to, one, because it's, it's several answers, but one, to protect your mental health. Mm. Um, and if I'm protecting my mental health, then I have to think about, okay, so what does that look like? What do I agree to? What do I say no to? What do I participate in? Um, and really figuring out when it comes to the co-parenting, uh, what is it that I need to protect my mental health? What boundaries do I need to set? Um, and what is it that I need on my end to make sure that I'm okay and this child is okay? Mm-hmm. So like the example you gave of support system, you know, mental health-wise, it probably is a good idea to move towards your support system. Right. Now, I do understand that, you know, that causes an issue in conflict of your child's father seeing them. However, let's think about how active he already is anyway. Yeah. Right? And so if he really is it, <laughs> then it's kind of like, okay, then y'all can figure something out a couple times he comes around. Right. But... You being a primary parent, how are you protecting your mental health and setting those boundaries? And then he can work around that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's two, it's two different sides. One side is that of protecting your mental health for an absentee parent and really just trying to figure out how do you manage this on your own and not continuing to participate, you know, in some of those things with him or thinking of him first and yeah. all of that. And just how do you do this on your own? Because when it comes to their relationship, him and your child will have to figure that out. Right. You know, and that, that might be when your child's 15 or when they're 21, but they're going to have to figure that out. Right. But for right now, you're the main one who's there. You're the main one who's showing up. So how do you protect your mental health and make sure that you're in a space to do that? Whether it's being close to a support system, whether it's you know, having a job that you make enough money to get a babysitter or 
whatever that is, you have some friends and y'all take different turns, you know, letting the kids spend the night, whatever that is, mm-hmm. like, you have to do that part first. Right. Um, and then I think the second side is, um, you know, the the co-parent who really is uh, showing up in some ways, but maybe not all, mm-hmm. you know, so they might see the child, but don't give you any money mm-hmm. or, you know, they might buy things here and there, but they do, you know, show up when you ask them to get them for the weekend or whatever else. Right. So in those situations, um, I think sometimes we as women really have to examine what matters here, mm. you know, and it doesn't matter for your child to have a relationship or, you know, even in my case, for my child not to have daddy issues. That's mm. what matters to me. Mm. So I'm just really not sweating the small stuff. Yeah. That's not good for my mental health, yeah. you know? So when it comes to that, you know, what are you willing to accept or participate in? If he comes, um, you know, just say every other weekend or he comes on birthdays or you can call him and ask him, y'all can figure out he can get the child once a month, whatever it is. You have to be in a, a, a place to just let it be that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? And is that fair? Hell no. Mm. Is it okay that you have to take on the full burden and this person, you know, made the child with you? Of course not. Yeah. But when it comes to your mental health, you cannot spend or invest that much energy into something or someone that you have no control over. Right. You right. know? And so at the end of the day, it's just kind of like, what you gonna do in a sense? Yeah. Because I would rather protect my mental health and me and my child are straight and <laughs> you are welcome to be a part of her life if you wanna be. Mm-hmm. I am not standing in the way of that. It ain't got nothing to do with me. Yeah. And I'm just not investing my energy in, you know, worried about what you're not doing. Right. I'm just not. Right. You know? So I think for us as women, that's the place we gotta get to is what are you willing to you know, I guess deal with or not deal with, um, and then just being okay in that, setting your boundaries and just being okay in that, you know, like if one of my boundaries is, um, I don't know, you get the child on whatever days and I meet you for pick up and drop off or whatever else, then I'm not, I'm not not doing anything outside of that. Yeah. And you're not a bad person if that person cannot show up and you choose exactly. to not allow them to see it. You're not a bad person. Because I often hear... You're not a bad person. Right. Well, I'm I'm guilty. I'm not letting him see his child. But you set up the situation. Everybody communicated. Exactly. Everybody knew what to expect. Exactly. They made the choice not to show up. Yeah. You set the boundaries. Y'all agreed. And this is what it was going to be. And now he want to switch it up on you. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be like, well, no. Like, right. this is what we agreed upon. This is what I set my schedule around or whatever else. So no, yeah. you know, and although that does now leave you, you know, having the child or not getting a break or whatever else. So I understand that. But at the same time, um, you know, sometimes that flexibility isn't a good boundary to have right. because people will run all over that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying it's just, it's just my tip would be, let's figure out what you need to do to protect your mental health, what boundaries you need to set and what that needs to look like. Mm -hmm. And then let's just stick to that and let that fool be a fool. (laughs) (laughs) Let the fool be a fool. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Katrina. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, 
if I know you're often like booked and busy, but if people want to follow you, um, your work or what you do or the wellness stuff that you do or mm-hmm. book something within the practice, where can they find you? Yeah, so definitely follow me on Instagram at Katrina Pointer. Um, I always post um, just coping skills and um, funny relationship stuff. Um, and then as far as the practice goes, you can go to KatrinaPointer.com and check out the other therapists in my group and um, the work that we're doing there. And um, if you are, you know, someone that is kind of, uh, struggling in your relationship not only with other people but within yourself um, that's definitely what we um, are focused on so anybody in the practice um, can help you with that so definitely go to the website if you're in Georgia at least for therapy and check that out awesome well thank you Katrina I appreciate it no problem when it's in too much on my plate, the cold up on my face, I'm going through a phase.